Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Kim and I are here to talk all things wine with you. How are you, Kim? I'm well, Mark. Thank you. Nice to get together with you again and talk about wine and all things wine related. And it's great to be talking to our listeners. out. Actually, we have two articles today that are kind of, we're going to work together. One of them is from Vine Pierre, and the other one is from Wine Enthusiast Magazine. And we're going to talk about wine and cocktails. And first, Kim, is the what they say is going to possibly be a trend in the wine world that sour flavors from beer and liquor will somehow transfer into a trend in wine. What did you think of that, Kim? Yeah, this sour trend. So we are, you know, this is one of those things that we see this relationship between wine and wine drinkers and wine trends and then other beverage trends. So these things don't happen in a vacuum. And I always find it very interesting, sort of from a social perspective, to see how wine styles, beer styles, food styles, cocktail styles, even non-alcoholic beverage styles, how they're kind of all tied together. And you could kind of put them under the umbrella of changes in taste, or if you want to take the whole food thing out of it and just do it for beverages. We see this up and down hill curve kind of thing with trends always. And especially with wine, you know, sometimes there are certain points where big reds are the most popular and other times where lighter whites are the more popular. And there does seem to have been this movement in the last few years where sour is a a part of the flavor profile that isn't necessarily looked down upon. It's um, it's being embraced and there are a number of beverages sort of across the, the beverage spectrum that are showing these nice sour notes. And we can talk about sour beers and we can talk about these high acid light wines. And also, you know, things like kombucha and yogurts and sourdough, you know, there's all of this stuff that's sort of tied together. It's very interesting to see how there are either drinks or food products that are so very different from each other in texture, but then they really have this one uh, common denominator that is the the sour part of it. It is trending. And I find it interesting, especially with sour beers. You have people that just love them or you have people that just can't stand them. Whereas with the wine, usually people are kind of, you know, they'll drink it, but sour, it's an acquired taste Mm -hmm. of sour beer. And and it tends to be a fruity sour beer. And on the liquor end, I think liquor followed that sour beer trend and went with like, now you have sour vodka lines, sour vodka Ah. flavor lines. What they're saying is how are we going to associate this or can we right now associate it with a style of wine? So when you associate sour to wine, what immediately comes to your mind? So sour for me is... You mentioned acid, higher yeah, acid. Yeah, so, so th- when you're using the word sour to describe something, what you really mean is that there is a higher level of acidity 
in whatever it is that you're eating or drinking, but it doesn't have to necessarily be the same type of acidity. So I think that that is something that's important to get across to people is that it might hit your palate in different ways. And because sometimes they can be different from each other, you might not recognize that it's kind of the same thing going on. So we learn in probably middle school or elementary school for a lot of people, you know, our palates are only tuned to four or five, or now they're saying six or maybe even seven different tastes. You know, we learned the original ones of sour, sweet, bitter, and salty. Now we've come to recognize that there's this fifth taste of umami which is this savoriness, deliciousness that we get from, you know, Parmesan cheese and sun-dried tomatoes and miso and Worcestershire sauce and like those kinds of things. And now there's even conversation that fattiness might be the sixth of the, you know, those flavors, or I like to call them more textures in on your palate, in your mouth that you can taste. But just honing in on the sour sensation. There are so many things that can account for sour. So, you know, citrus fruits, and you think about the difference in flavor between a lemon versus an orange, you know, they both have acidity to them, but they're different. And when you're eating, say, a Granny Smith apple versus sucking on a lemon, you know, those both have acid, but they have very different types of acid. One has citric acid, the other one has malic acid. So yes, it's all acidity and it all can be quantified or qualified, I guess you could say, as sour. It will affect you differently and you might use different terms to describe it, or you might not even realize that what you're tasting is something sour. So I think that that is because we're dealing with so many different products and so many different flavors that there might not be like an apples to apples comparison for a lot of people about what we're talking about and what we're tasting. I think people perceive sourness a lot different than they perceive like acidity or when we talk in the past about you you might think something sweet and I don't. Mm -hmm. Do you think everybody's sour level is... Yeah, is the same. I, I, no, no, I think that there is, um, different, everybody has a different threshold. Sure. Like I think a lot of it has to do with what you eat and what your experiences are and what you like. I feel like it's the kind of thing with like candy bar, like you might've loved three musketeers as a kid, but as you got older, you know, it just became so cloyingly sweet that you're like, I don't like that candy bar anymore. I relate that to those sour candy balls. Oh, yeah. You had people that could put those in their mouth, right, and loved it, right? And then other people, you put it in your mouth and you spit it out right away mm-hmm. because it's just so overpowering in yeah. your mouth. And I, so. but, but I think it's that way with everything. Like, aren't we that way with hot food? Like, some people can do super spicy salsa or can pop, you know, <laughs> really hot peppers in their mouth with no issue, and other people can't stand it at all. So I think all of these flavor components people have different thresholds for. So not only do we have different levels of I like it, I don't like it, we then find that these sour things or this, you know, acid level can be balanced by sweetness or it can be offset by something else. It's not like these things work in a vacuum. You have to consider the rest of the thing that you're eating and you're drinking. And I think that that is a good way to lead it back to wine because yes, there are some wines that have, if you measure it on a scientific scale, it might have 
a certain amount of measurable acidity, which if you didn't have any fruitiness in it, or you didn't have any sweetness in it, or you didn't have any other of these flavor components, it might just taste like too much like sucking on a lemon if you don't like sucking on a lemon. But because wine is more complex, and honestly, beers are more complex too, you have these other things going on in the beverage that balance out that. So it's not just looking at the scientific numbers of, oh, how much acidity is in this, but how does it work with all of the other components to make it something that I personally like or I personally don't like? I want to mention a couple wine terms, and I'd like you to tell me what you think the trend to associate to sour, where it Mm. would go. So we talked about acid. How about orange wines, natural, Mm -hmm. natural wines, funky wines, funky (laughs) or foxy wines out of all of those terms. If someone said to you, we want to go to the sour trend, which of those do you think is more in your mind? The sour is it you sticking with acid? I'm sticking with acid. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that funky wine category certainly has a bit of a foothold when it comes to these slightly higher acid wines. But then again, I've had some orange wines. I've had some natural wines that are high on the acidity scale. And then I've had some other ones that honestly surprised me because I expected them to be more tart and more acid forward. And honestly, they weren't. And that just might have been that one particular one that I had tasted at that one time. But I don't think I have tasted enough variety of any of those particular categories to be able to put my finger on it and say, yes, this is the place to go if you're looking for tart, sour, higher acid wines. In my tasting experience, Mm. I think of a non-vinifera grape to be more of a sour to my palate. And and I Hmm. referenced that to like Lambrusco, Italian Lambrusco. It's not, it's acidic, but it's got that foxiness to it that I would associate my palate that it's a more of a sour. And I could see a great benefit to the Lambrusco people to kind of, if this is going to be a trend to jump on that as a quote sour trend. Because Lambrusco has some of that sourness to it. So grape varieties that could be up and coming on people's radar, because if they're learning to like sour beers and like I mentioned before, the whole like kombucha craze, you know, that's high in acidity. Shrubs have become a popular like cocktail mixer. And there are all sorts of cocktails out there that are utilizing a little bit more of like a sour element. So moving beyond like whiskey sours and things like that, things that have more citrus and that have maybe a a vinegar element to them. There were a lot of grape varieties out there that are leaning more towards the acidity side of the flavor profile. So I mean, like for me, immediately Sauvignon Blanc comes to mind and that might be kind of a go-to like easy way out because there are a lot more creative things out there. But just look to Italy and look at how their wines pretty much across the board are high acid because they go great with food. But those could be wines that people who are learning to appreciate a slightly higher acid slash 
more sour beverage could really get into just drinking on its own, whether it's, you know, some of the Italian whites or if it's a Montepulciano or those dry Lambruscos that are, you know, red, but still are really tart and don't necessarily have to have any sweetness to them. I like the reference to the Sauvignon Blanc because citrus notes can come off as being that sour note as well. So I I like that that. association between, oh, this tastes like a grapefruit. Therefore, I'm expecting sort of a sour, bitter edge. Right. Mm -hmm. And what about the article did mention sparkling wines when they were talking Mm. sour? Yeah. How could I forget? Yeah. So sparkling could also be included in there, certain styles of sparkling wines. And I don't think people realize that the carbonation in any of our carbonated beverages, that is acidic, slightly, slightly acidic. The technical term for it is carbonic acid. So anything that has a bubble to it is going to have a little bit of an extra level of that acidity to it. So it's like the difference between drinking a can of Coke that has its bubbles to it and a can of flat Coke, you're going to notice that the flat Coke tastes way sweeter because it doesn't have the bubbles. It doesn't have the carbonic acid. So when we're talking about champagne and we're talking about Prosecco and Cava, that carbonation that is in your sparkling wine is giving that lift to the wine, adding that little touch of sourness to it that maybe you're not noticing as sour, but is adding that element that is just brightening the wine and brightening your palate up. That's one of the things I really like about bubbles too. So are you, are you excited about this possibility that sour could trend? Be Honestly, yes, because yeah. it's my favorite. Like it's one of my favorite things. I've always said that I love higher acid things. So give me a whiskey sour, give me a French 75 for my cocktails. Like I like those lemon forward. I love shrubs. I love Sauvignon Blanc. I, of course, all the bubbles are my favorite. So this is something that I personally really like. And I think also it's a nice direction to go in because it kind of counterbalances the heavier, more alcoholic, Like you can't really have these kinds of wines be the same as something that is 15 and a half percent alcohol and is big and fruity and lush. You know, it's sort of the counterpoint to that. So that I feel like for wine trends is what we see a lot is this back and forth between leaner, lighter, higher acid and heavier, higher alcohol, more tannic, more fruit. It's this like seesaw that goes back and forth. And I remember in like 2000 and I don't know, five-ish between 2005 and 2010, we were kind of moving out of the big, heavy red trend and then into this lighter, leaner, better with food kind of wines. And then it went back again and now we're back to the sour again. So I don't know, like I, I love watching these trends and it's going to be very interesting to see know what what works for people but who knows yeah and that's a good lead for what we're going to talk about next about talking about the cocktails you're listening to the wonderful world of wine exploring all things wine with you and we are your hosts mark and kim you can find more information about mark on his website franklinlickers.com 
and more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. This week, Mark and I are discussing sort of overall beverage trends as they relate to how do wines and beers and cocktails and the trends associated with all of those sort of interrelate and how do they influence each other? So we were just talking about sort of this trend in sour for cocktails and beers and how that might influence wine and vice versa. And then we found another very interesting article in Wine Enthusiast about choosing cocktails if you're a wine lover and how to maybe try a new cocktail depending on what style or type of wine you like to drink. So I have to say, Mark, I had um, I had some issues, issues. <laughs> with this article being both a cocktail drinker and a wine lover that some of these didn't really match up for me. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I, I think what they were trying to do, they weren't really playing the profile of the wine to the flavor of the drink as much. Is that, is that what kind of got you? Um, no, like I felt that the weights of the cocktails were a little out of balance, maybe because what I was doing was, I was viewing this from the perspective of, I am a wine drinker and I'm not a cocktail drinker. So what I was anticipating was to be given examples of if you don't drink cocktails and you want to get into cocktails, but you drink wine, if you like this wine, here's a starter cocktail yeah. for you to try to get into the realm of cocktails and see what you like. But a lot of these cocktails that were presented here are not beginner cocktails. Like yeah. you would not yeah. give a Sazerac to somebody who has never drunk a cocktail before. I don't even drink Sazeracs. Right. Like I still need my cocktails to be cut down a bit. So I felt like I didn't understand what the method behind this article was. Like why well, did you yeah. pick well, these things? Let's start with that because you mentioned Sazerac and they're saying if you're a cab drinker, you should try a Sazerac as a cocktail. Now, a Sazerac is rye, simple syrup, bitters. I think there's some absinthe in it too. But the reason they said why you should do that cocktail is because they're both classics. Mm. Now, to me, that, that made no, it made no, <laughs> it sense. no sense. So that's where I thought you were going because- Well, it kind of uh, is. It, yeah. it actually kind of is. And all right, you know, on one level, they're like, both of these have a fair amount of oak. So Cabernet Sauvignon is generally aged in oak barrels, especially if you like to drink some of the better ones. So you could, if, if you like cabs, generally you like that oaky flavor. So therefore, we're going to give you a liquor and a cocktail that has barrel aging so that you have a flavor that you already know that you like. Where I am completely lost with this is on alcohol content. Because if you drink Cabernet, you know, if you drink wine in general, a glass of wine usually is between like 12 and 15% alcohol. But if you're drinking one of these cocktails that is primarily just the alcohol with maybe a little bit of something extra added to it, you're two or three times that amount of alcohol per drink. Right. I feel just like that's booze. a tough transition. It's just booze. Yeah. Well, they, I thought they had two other examples I thought that made sense as far as the flavor profile. So Pinot Grigio, they said, try a West Side. Now, a West Side is a vodka cocktail with lemon vodka, lemon right. juice. So All that made citrus. sense. And yeah. they said it makes sense because it's citrus flavors. And then 
they also did the same thing with Pinot Noir and the Shannon recommendation that made sense. So I guess three out of the maybe five that they talked about, it made sense with the profile. And that's where I wish they would have just stayed with, yeah. like you said, the profile and the weight and maybe not as many liquors mixed in to make it a little mellower. But I almost feel like that West Side vodka cocktail thing would be better for Sauvignon Blanc drinkers. Yeah. Well, they didn't even mention Sauvignon no, Blanc. No, they didn't. So. And, and I feel like yeah. that is the kind right. of wine that has a lot of affinity with cocktails. Yeah. And you know, they could they could have mentioned the Pinot Grigio with the Shannon based yeah. on apple. So they said Shannon is based on mm-hmm. the green apple. And they said the cocktail was a Jack Rose, which is apple jack, which is obviously a liquor, liquor that is apple flavor. But they could have combined a couple different wines into one drink, too, to catch more wine drinkers. Right. So, I mean, I mean it, it looks a, good, but I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was a good guide. I think, I, I think. We're both looking at it the same way. There's this, if someone's new, like you said, if you're a wine drinker, you want to get new into cocktails. These are kind of extravagant, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never heard of a Jack Rose. You know, everybody's probably heard of a Sazerac. But I like the creative part of it, you know, and I think that there, this is a good sort of springboard for us to be like, okay, if the, if these are the issues that we're having with these recommendations, what would be a better way to approach it? And because my main issue with this article and with these, not pairings, but- Yeah, comparisons, I guess. (laughs) Comparisons, yeah, is the alcohol content. Just moving away from doing something that has too much of a boozy hit to it. So if you're not necessarily going to start with something that is two ounces of liquor and then, you know, a half an ounce of something else so that it's mostly liquor. Like, I don't think you would necessarily give someone who has, who doesn't have a lot of cocktail drinking experience. You wouldn't just give them a martini. You wouldn't just give them a Manhattan because those drinks are predominantly the booze. And I feel like it's just too hard to get introduced to them that way. But if you were to do something like... Well, let's talk about the other two that we didn't mention it. The Pinot oh, yeah. Noir. The Pinot Noir. Did you like that they said if you drink Pinot, you should go with a Cosmo? With the Cosmo. I kind of liked that because of that cranberry. Right. And, that's and I they- think that that is they're playing off of the flavors. So again, I think that this is tricky because what are we going for here? Are we going for if you like this flavor, try this cocktail because... We already think that you like the flavor of the Pinot Noir, but what if it's not the flavor of the Pinot Noir that you like? What if it's the weight of the Pinot Noir that you like? Yeah, then the Cosmo could come off right. as being a lot heavier with the right, a lot boozier. Um, but then that made me think of like rosés. Like if you are a rosé drinker, what are we going to give to you as an idea for a cocktail that you might like? And that w- was making my brain go in, in all sorts of directions with Chambord and some of these more berry flavored things. What about, you know, champagne cocktails? But, you know, I was leaning more towards the lighter side where maybe you only have an ounce or an ounce and a half of liquor that is balanced by two or three ounces of juices or simple syrup or lemon, lime, orange, lemonade. You know, there's, there's all sorts of things that you could do as mixers, you know, and I'm a little surprised that they didn't do anything in here 
like a dark and stormy, something that had more of a soda component to offset the boozy component, because there are a lot of things that have sort of the spicy notes that you get from something like a dark and stormy from the ginger beer. So like a Shiraz, like I think that a a Shiraz drinker who doesn't necessarily know a whole lot about booze, give them a dark, a dark and stormy because they probably already like that spicy element of the wine. And that is a cocktail that is not necessarily overpoweringly boozy because it's half liquor and it's half soda. Yeah. And there was really no talk of sweetness. So as far if you like a sweeter style wine, there was really nothing for a sweet cocktail mm-hmm. or, or anything. With, but there certainly with, are a lot of sweet cocktails out there. Yeah. But there were, yeah, there was nothing hit on it in this article. Mm-hmm. They mentioned Merlot. What was the drink? Uh, I never heard of it. It's a Boulevardier. Have you ever had this drink? Or I've never had it. And that's it's another one that is one of those, you know, more boozy forward. Um, I believe it is. I believe it's another rye cocktail. Vermouth, Campari and and rye. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, the Campari adds like a bitter element. And I don't necessarily know that wine drinkers like that bitter, that bitter note. They were playing on saying more plum. But I think like you said, I think you're getting more bitterness out of that cocktail. So I, I. I would be if I was a Merlot drinker, I would not go with that. I would I would not I would not like it. But they did have also a comparison with mezcal, a mezcal margarita, which I like the margarita idea because that could play in a lot if you had strawberry margarita with some sort of strawberry profile wine. But they yeah. mentioned it with a Greek white wine. And the reason they said to pair it with this white wine was because of the smoky yeah. citrus is similar to the soil, which okay. was So I totally get what they were going for here. And I've done tastings with a Sirtico, which is the grape variety that they're they're trying to play off of here. As much as I like mezcal and I like margaritas and I like a Sirtico, I think that they were really reaching here or maybe they were just trying to be very creative. Well, I think I don't know, but but there is, you know, there if you are very in tune to tasting wine and to being able to suss out particular flavors, you can taste, you can kind of taste the volcano in some wines. I I like to think that I can taste the volcano, but I don't know that an everyday wine drinker who maybe likes this wine is saying, oh, I like a Sirtico because I like the slightly smoky volcanic element of the wine. I think so. if you're a, if you're a wine drinker and you're experimenting with this grape, you're pretty open to. Yeah, that. this is not a beginner yeah. grape. Yeah, so you're that's open. That's true. To, so I think that's where they could kind of catch you. If you said mm-hmm. something very basic, I wouldn't think you'd catch the person to convert to the cocktail mm-hmm. because they're they're already pretty adventurous going. Yeah. That so. Yeah, so I actually, I mean, as much as I think this one was a reach and a creative reach. I've, it, it probably could work, (laughs) believe it or not, because it does hit all those flavor profiles. You've got the smoky and the salty and the citrus. So on a certain level, this one is out there, but could actually be really good. And now I want to go like make a mezcal margarita. Yeah. It's this whole article brought up. I thought there's a good calling now for someone who should put out a bartender's guidebook like a drink book based on wines you know that you like it would be very interesting to to put a bunch of cocktails for people who drink cabernet 
to see, let them explore cocktails more based on yeah. what they like for wine. So that's a great idea. So I, I like this article as like a springboard. I don't think that they necessarily hit all the right notes, but I think that there are some good ideas in here. And it's yeah. too bad I don't have enough time to write that cookbook or that cocktail yeah. book. It's very hard to convert someone who's a true wine drinker. I mean, it's, they're saying if you want to get out of the routine, but usually that routine for a wine drinker is maybe try another style of wine or, or something else, but to switch over. I don't over. know. I think people can be pretty open. Well, I mean, switching up, but to convert to a cocktail drinker. Well, who's, I, think it's I mean, what, what is, what is your definition of a cocktail drinker? Somebody who just drinks that, cocktails? Yeah. That, that doesn't oh, I, I wasn't, no, all. I wasn't thinking that this was just to drink cocktails, but to, you know, expand your. Explore a little more. Yeah. yeah. So like, I can't ever imagine myself not necessarily considering myself to be a wine drinker first and foremost, but I also drink cocktails and I also drink beer and I, I love them all in different situations. So I think that I'm not alone in that yeah. situation. Well, so, but as far as like someone who, who doesn't have a lot of experience with cocktails and who is more of a wine drinker, like it is a very different animal than a glass of wine. Thank you for listening today to the wonderful world of wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. And you can find us every week here on Franklin Public Radio with our The Wonderful World of Wine podcast and radio show. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. And as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Please leave us your questions and comments. And we look forward to visiting with you again next week. Cheers. Cheers.